Welcome to episode 155 of FBI Retired Case File Review with Jerry Williams. I'm a retired agent on a mission to show the public who the FBI is and what the FBI does through my books, my blog, and my podcast, Case Reviews, with former colleagues. Today, we get to speak to retired agent Peter Welsh, who served with the FBI for 20 years. Pete worked all FBI violations and fugitive matters in three resident agencies during his career. He was assigned to the Yuba City Resident Agency out of the Sacramento Division, the Long Beach RA out of the Los Angeles Division, and the Pocatello, Idaho RA out of the Salt Lake City Division. In this episode, Pete Welsh reviews his 1974 investigation of the kidnapping of 12-year-old Jan Broberg, who was abducted by Bob Birchold, a trusted and close family friend. Pete Welsh spent three years trying to unravel the bizarre twists and turns of the kidnapping case, where Jan Broberg was kidnapped not once, but twice by the same man who never served any significant time for the abductions. Pete was interviewed on camera for the Netflix documentary, Abducted in Plain Sight, about the Jan Broberg kidnapping. It was during this filming that Pete Welsh learned about all of the methods used by Bob Birchhold to groom and manipulate young Jan and her parents, Bob and Marianne Broberg. You can learn more about Abducted in Plain Sight and watch a clip from the film on the film company's website and YouTube. I have to warn you, this is one of the strangest cases I have ever heard about. If you've already watched Abducted in Plain Sight, you'll follow right along. If you haven't watched the film yet, you're going to want to. We only touch on the really strange stuff like aliens. Abducted in Plain Sight is playing on Netflix, but you can also view it on Amazon Prime, YouTube, Vudu, and other streaming platforms. But before we get to that interview, I just have a few things. I want you to know that I will be sending out my March Reader Team email, so please look out for it. If it doesn't show up in your inbox, you know what you have to do. Check your spam filter. And you might try sending me a reply email so that your email provider knows that you do want to hear from me. In this month's Reader Team email, I introduced two new shows on TV about the FBI. I reveal my new podcast button and sticker and let you know how you can get them. If I do say so myself, they're really cool. They say eavesdrop on the FBI. If you're not a member of my reader team and you want to see what the new buttons look like, I have the image in the footer on my website, jerrywilliams.com. And while you're there, you might as well join my reader team, where in addition to learning how you can get a button and sticker, you'll also get the 
FBI reality checklist, which is a list of 20 cliches and misconceptions about the FBI and books, TV and movies. And you'll get the FBI reading resource, a list of books about the FBI written by the very agents who have been on this podcast. Of course, my books are there too. I'll talk to you a little bit more after the interview. But for now, here's the show. I am excited to introduce my guest, Pete Welsh. Hey, Pete, how are you? I'm good, Jerry. How are you today? I am great. Before we do anything else, I need to give producer credit to Angela Rush. She was the one who told me all about you, and I reached out to you, and you said that you would be delighted to do the podcast, so thank you. She reached out to you just about the time that the movie came into place called Abducted in Plain Sight. That's right. She actually, I don't even know if she saw the documentary on Netflix, but she heard another podcast where someone else was talking about it and they mentioned your name. As a matter of fact, I think I just read that Abducted in Plain Sight is now one of the top watched videos on Netflix and you're in it. You were interviewed in it. Good for you. You're, you're famous now. Um, the word is infamous. <laughs> infamous, famous. Yeah, right. uh, you're a big deal now. You're a TV star. I, I don't want to be that. You live in small town America and every time you take a step, you walk right in. Oh, I saw that. Will you answer some questions for me? Oh, wow. So, so you are a big deal in Pocatello, Idaho. Can you tell me a little bit about how that all came about? Well, I, I think how it all came about is Jan Broberg, who was the victim in this kidnapping case, tried to find people who would uh, take her story regarding the kidnapping that happened in 1974 in Pocatello, Idaho. She found a group in California that would listen to her story, and then they touched base with me, wanting to know if I still had the files, which I did. And they eventually came to Pocatello, Idaho, and uh, interviewed a lot of witnesses, including me. And what was that like? Because this was a case that, and we're going to talk about this more as we go through your case review, but this was a case that was kind of unsatisfactory to you because the subject was never sent away to jail for some really, really horrible and, and heinous crimes, uh, kidnapping and uh, you know, child abuse. Yes. Well, I became frustrated after the fact. You know, when the, when the people came from California and interviewed witnesses, they got the truth what had happened. Uh, the Robert family, Marianne and Bob, I, I, I never pressed them um, that they were lying to me about their contact with the perpetrator of Bob Birchtold. Did you have a feeling when you were doing the investigation that you weren't getting all, you know, the true story? I did, but I didn't think it wasn't from them. You know, when I first made contact with the Rolbergs in uh, 1974, their daughter was gone for 10 days. As some people say five. I know it's 10 because I got the file. But anyway, um, she was gone for 10 days before they finally decided to call me. Well, that was a little shaky right there. But, you know, I wanted to bring the daughter back. If I could find her, 
I uh, I didn't see any deception whatsoever. The problem was, if you think about it, and I think back on it, if they'd have told me the truth, I didn't know that much about child molestation. I wasn't after him for child molestation uh, because of the kidnapping. They would have told me about all this sleeping together, taking her away again, and, and the fact that they were having affairs with with the perpetrator. I had brought the guy back, put him in jail for life. It had been over, in, you know, less than a year after we, after we uh, arrested him down in Mexico. When did you learn all of this, all of the bizarre truth? Was it during the filming of the documentary or after you sat down and watched it once it was complete? No, they told me during the filming of the documentary. And, and how did that affect you over 45 years after your investigation, which was already a frustrating investigation, but 45 years later, you find out all of this weird, unbelievable, bizarre stuff about aliens and, you know, sleeping in bed. And we're going to get into all of that. I'm talking because I already know the story because I watched the documentary. But what was it like for you to learn that you had no idea? Well, you can tell by looking at the film how how frustrated I was. I mean, I spent three years of my life, you know, going to court and losing in court and getting dismissed in court. And and when they told me, I almost fell out of my chair because then again, I thought we could have put him away for life. I talked to Tom Strins at Quantico while I was going through this, and uh, he kind of helped me through it, the the, uh, perpetrator. And And who was that? Tom Strens is Dr. Tom Strens. He was an agent. He worked in a behavioral science unit. I, I talked to him back in the 70s, you know, so saying, Tom, what am I supposed to do here? He helped me through to understand anyhow. Let me just ask you one more question. Before- you can ask me all you want. <laughs> and let me just ask you one more question before we get into the case review. And that is when you had a chance to to see Jan again. I, I take it you had a chance to see her when you were filming this? She and her mom came to my house when filming people were here. And I had lunch with them. There was no no talking about the you know about the case itself. It's just kinda how are you? I'm glad to see you. Thank you for what you did to me. And um, I said I hope you're all right. And, you know, just little talk, small talk. During that lunch when you saw her and her mother what kind of emotions came up? Was that after you had learned the true story? Were there yeah. things that the regrets that you may have had because you didn't know? I mean, you can't investigate something that you don't know. But I'm just wondering, you know, what kind of emotions that brought up? I know you said frustration. There's a lot of frustration. Look, they were uptight. I was uptight. We didn't film any of that, but lady that was doing the filming and her crew used a lot of small talk and trying to ease us up. And like, you know, I, I mean, you were an FBI agent. I mean, we just can't grab out of thin air what's going on if nobody tells you the truth. That happens in a lot of cases. But you can work your way through it and find the right clues to help you solve the case. Of all the people that lied to me were the parents of the little girl I least suspected because that was their little girl. You know, why weren't they telling me? They didn't. So 
as we do this case review, I just want to, you know, let everyone listening know that we will try to keep it in an order where we can talk about what you knew at the time, as opposed to what we know now. But it's going to be a difficult case review to get through. So, um, you know, we'll do the best that we can. I know you, you will do the best you can. All right. So why don't we start? It's a strange case for sure. I'd just been an agent about six or seven years. I moved from the Long Beach Resident Agency in California to Pocatello. And I hadn't been here. I probably had been here a couple of years, maybe a year. And uh, I got a call from a man that I knew that ran a florist shop. He said, I think my daughter's been kidnapped. So, um, I only had a couple of partners at the time, and so one of them went with me. I went over to see Mr. Broberg. Bob Broberg is his name, and he owned a floor shop, he and his wife. And I went over to see them, and Bob Broberg, B-R-O-B-E-R-G, and I'll tell you why I spell it out later. They told me their daughter was kidnapped. They were kind of hesitant to tell me about this. I don't know why they called the FBI other than the fact that your daughter was missing. So I talked to them for a while. They told me told me that maybe a man by the name of Bob Berkstold, and his name is B-E-R-C-H-T-O-L-D, a neighbor. Bob Berkstold had five children. Bob Broberg had three girls, one of them being Jan. He said, we don't have any idea where they are. A little investigation determined that they had waited more than 10 days before they called us. And how old is Jan? She was um, somewhere between 12 and 13 at the time. Jan was the oldest of three girls. She, I find out, had gone with her neighbor, Bob Birchtold, to go for a horseback ride. I got to back up a little bit because I told you that she'd been gone 10 days before they called us. They're members of the Mormon faith. I guess people from the Mormon church um, who had airplanes used these airplanes to go out and look for these people knowing they were heading for southern United States or Mexico. Of course, they didn't find them, and uh, I think that's why they called us. And so. I talked to him some more. I talked to Bob Birchtold's wife. She didn't say much. She's a very quiet woman. And uh, Marianne Broberg, I also talked to her and to Bob. They don't know why he would have taken her, um, although he was kind of infatuated with her. And the longer I talked to him, the worse it got. He owned a furniture store in a big old motor home, and he always dressed in white. His hair was even white. He became infatuated with Jan. And he would take her places. He wouldn't take the other girls. As I learned later on, it's a pretty classic pedophile behavior. So anyway, I kept talking to him. I'm getting very little. And I I really had a difficult time trying to figure out where the heck I was going to go next. And then the sheriff out in um, Power County which is near a town called American Falls, Idaho, which is about 25 miles west of Pocatello. 
found Birchtold's car. It was located um, down along Massacre Rocks, and and um, I, I can't. It's right along the Snake River. If you look on a map, they found his car. The window had been broken. There was blood on the window, but the window was broken from the inside out, which didn't make much sense to me. His motorhome, we discovered, was gone. So we just kind of interviewed everybody we could get our hands on that knew the Brobergs. I found a little girl. His, do- his dad was a doctor, and Birchtold had um, tried to take her for rides, and the doctor wouldn't let him. So we talked to neighbors and friends, and we talked to most everybody about about Jan, about Broberg, and we come to find out Broberg, Bob Broberg, and Bob Birchtold were friends, and they all, and the families were friends, and they all did everything together on the weekends, like boating and picnicking and all those kind of things. I, I think my friend Cor Hoffman, who was a professor of economics at ISU, who since passed, told them. Um, not me, but told uh, some other people that um, he went to the lake one time with the girls and he said Birchtold was so strange. He, he said, I would not ever go near him again. Let's more go on the lake with him. Let me ask you this because I'm sure everybody's wondering why did the Brobergs let their daughter go horseback riding with this guy in the first place? I mean, he has his own five kids why did they allow him to go alone with her horseback riding? I wish I'd have known that answer. They just were naive. I've called them naive before. They're Mormon people. They believe nobody can do anything wrong. He was friendly to the mother and the father. He was friendly to Jan. It gets more ridiculous after that. And then finally I find out that he comes to visit her at night. Um, he knows what his problem is, that he's a, that he has a, a behavior toward young adolescent girls. And I remember, we're working a kidnapping case, and, not, and all of a sudden, I got a pedophile case on my hands. So I find out that um, the church had sent him to a counselor in Idaho Falls. I know who the guy was. The guy was a pharmacist. He wasn't a counselor. To help him with his, his sexual um, addiction problem, his behavior problem. And then somewhere along the line, he went to Los Angeles to another counselor who gave him all this weird music. It's um, like outer space music. And it's like something from Star Wars. It's, it's even more ridiculous than that. And when he came back from Los Angeles, he told the Brobergs, have to uh, lay down with your daughter every night and play this music. And the counselor said, you know, that I will um, finally rid myself of this terrible behavior. Well, you know, I don't like to pass judgment, but, you know, I have five girls of my own. So, you know, just put yourself in that, that place. You would understand what this is all about. And they were so naive that they let him do that. This is this is so strange. I have to I I have to interrupt because 
you're telling me that the parents know that he has uh, pedophilia tendencies. And that Sexual he, addiction. They don't call it that. I call it that. And what's the year that all of this is taking place? 1974, 75 in there. So I guess um, it's at a time where people aren't as educated about you know, child sexual deviancy and, and pedophilia. Well, you and, know what? Though, I, I, probably, I, I can't, oh. I can't. They may not. They may not have been able to name it. It may not have been something that was openly discussed. But when you have a grown man who has his, has five of his own kids, and he wants to take your child places, and he needs to sleep in the bed with your child, I mean, triggers and and red flags and flashing lights are should be going off no matter what your level of education is to, you know, child sexual predator. Well, you know, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about people, I don't want to offend anybody, whose church mandates their behavior. It's a nice way to put it. Look, the girls all slept in the basement. It was a nice house. They had a hallway and a bedroom where two of the girls slept in a bedroom where one of the girls slept. And Jan slept with her sister. I can't remember which one. Then, you know, after he's all of a sudden, he wants to make Jan her own bedroom. So takes that bedroom where two girls are sleeping and panels it off. You know, puts a, another, makes another bedroom between the, you just put a. Who does this? Between the two bedrooms. So. Who does this? Way, excuse me? Who makes the two bedrooms? Erstelt. In the Broberg's house? Right. Yes, ma'am. Okay, that's another that's another big rig, red oh, flag all, being I, waved. Oh, I'm not done yet. <laughs> so I don't know any of this at all because they're not talking to me much, but I discover it as we go along because we interviewed the so-called therapist in Los Angeles and so-called therapist in Idaho Falls, which is north of Pocatello, about 50 miles. Anyway, he, he did that, and he laid with her each night, and he'd always give her a vitamin pill, and it turns out the vitamin pill is a sleeping pill every night, every night. I mean, I mean, I was worried that he already had, had molested her several times, but I, um, I didn't think much of it because I had to find her. I had to find her before he did something bad to her which he already done. So anyway, I was telling you about the American Falls Reservoir and um, his motorhome was gone and he was gone and he sold his business the day before. A big furniture store. He'd already sold it maybe a month before, but hadn't given it over to the person except that one day. And that's when he disappeared with her. I'm at my wits end. The parents are saying, where is she? Where is she? So um, we put some Traps, just just reel-to-reel tapes on the phone. And we put one on his brother's phone in Ogden, Utah, which is south of Pocatello, about 100 miles, hopeful to get a bite. But we didn't for a long time. I mean, she was gone um, 55 days before we caught this guy. One day, Birchtold called his brother at a car dealership where he worked and said, um, 
I want you to call a Broberg. So I know this is difficult, Broberg and Birchtoe, but Broberg is Jan's parents. I want you to um, call them and tell them that I want Jan's birth certificate because we're going to get married. I, I had the same age girl that was, I can't remember, 12 or 14. Why anybody would want to marry that age girl? And he was 38 at the time. With the trap on the line, as I called a trap, we were able to go through the phone companies then. You don't do that anymore. But anyway, through the phone companies and found out he was in Mazatlan. And um, that's where um, we found him at a motel, a hotel. And um, where did you say he was? He was in a hotel in Mazatlan, and the, Mexico. That, okay. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, but anyway, um, federales went over and um, talked to, um, you know, arrested him, and they kind of just let her loose. They took her to jail, but they didn't watch her very close. And so I told the parents that's where they were, and the parents flew down there and got her, and she wouldn't talk to her dad. Because, well, look, I'm learning what I'm going to tell you now later. And after this thing is over, that he played her this, remember that music I was telling you about from outer space? She supposedly woke up tied to her bed, this space music playing. The only way I know that is from a video made by some people in Los Angeles about the kidnapping. Uh, that's the only way I know that because nobody ever told me. I mean, when we brought Jan Broberg back, uh, we gave her to her parents. They, they didn't do anything. I mean, they took her to the doctor to make sure she was all right. No counseling, no understanding what the heck she'd been through. And consequently, she's had not a real good life. They took her to a doctor family doctor. I don't know what happened in there. I have no idea. Nobody told me. And so uh, we got her back. I'm elated. I haven't been over to my, see my kids and my wife for two months, something like that. That's how, I, much, that's how much time you were working on this case? It had you away from Well, your- we didn't find her for 55 days. I worked on this case for three years before it was over. So I, I don't know any of this stuff. So, Pete, tell me what you do know, because I want to make sure that we have a good flow here. So okay. they call you. They tell you that she's been gone for 10 right. days with a grown man who is a friend of she, theirs. They did not tell me she was gone 10 days. They're acting like she just left. You understand? Yeah. And so yeah. Wh- what is going through your mind? I think that's important for us to understand. What's going through my mind is I've got to find this little girl. Uh, I don't what, know anything about child molestation. I don't know what's going on with her. I just figured he kidnapped her. Pedophilia didn't come to mind. I mean, you are an agent. You know, when I went through new agents training, I mean, I remember I'm handing out this page from a coloring book showing a guy hiding behind a tree with a long trench coat and a hat over his head 
a bag of candy behind his back. And in front of him was a long, long road. And you see a little schoolhouse up in the back of the picture. And this little girl skipping down the um, pathway. I mean, that's how we all thought about it back in the early 70s. Stranger danger, right? Don't go near a stranger. I'm getting into a lecture, but I, I know better than that now. So so what did you, I mean, in your mind, okay, you, you didn't go there. And obviously, they weren't going there either. So what were you thinking happened? I was, I was thinking that somebody knew what happened. So I, we interviewed, or I did, interviewed his wife. I interviewed the older kids. I interviewed neighbors. I interviewed church members. I interviewed, you know, like I told you, Cor Hoffman. Um, I interviewed a lot of people. And I didn't get, I wasn't getting anywhere. You know, and then I decided that we need to put a, not a wire, but, you know, um, the old reel-to-reel, like I talked to you about, tape at their house, at Broberg's house. I think we put one at the Birch Stoll's house. Because his wife was still there. Not knowing what kind of a person he was. And one at his brother's business in Ogden, Utah. And we just waited. We just waited and we interviewed people in Idaho Falls. Psychologists, supposedly. And in Los Angeles. All those places. Okay. Were there any signs of them during this 55-day period? Nope. So nope. as far as you knew, it, it could have been foul play, and they both Absolutely. could be dead. Absolutely. Absolutely. But no phone Nobody calls Nobody told in. me that the guy was infatuated with this little girl during our investigation. But then as I learned, like from the psychologist, he told the psychologist he had a problem. He told both of them that. Now, whether he went to L.A. or not, I don't know. Um, the guy says, um, you know, I lost my license. It might have been him. There was some guy from Idaho, but that's about all he said. So so we waited, Jerry. We waited and we waited. And finally, we got a little tip off the phone. And we caught him. And we brought him back. And we took him to jail. We indicted him with a grand jury. You got to give me a little bit more. So you said... You got a tip on, on the phone. What was that tip, and, and how did you well, learn? It you was, learn? you know, uh, we learned where they were. You know, he called his brother. And remember, I told you that um, he wanted a um, birth certificate so he could marry Jan, right? Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Okay. So using the antiquated telephone system way back then, we were able to determine that the call came from Mazatlan uh, in Mexico. It's right on the Pacific Ocean side. And from there, federales were notified. The FBI's legal attaché. As you know, we don't have any jurisdiction. He was arrested and he cared for Jan until her parents came to get her. And when we brought her back, she went to the doctor. She went back to school, happy-go-lucky. And he was in jail, indicted by a grand jury, a felony kidnapping. So... Was it determined, I know this is kind of sensitive, but was it determined that she had been sexually assaulted when she was with him? 
Not to my knowledge. Not to my knowledge. I'm getting stuff off this tape that that company made that she was, that her hymen was broken, that there was no tearing or anything like that. And she says that what she recalls, that she would hear this crazy, I'm talking about when she got in the motor room, that she was tied. She woke up tied to the. Hey, hold on. Is this what, is this what she told you? I, I, I think. It's in the I, tape. I think, yeah, I think because you, you've watched the tape and I've watched the tape, we are glossing over some important things that helps the people listening who have never seen that tape. They're, I think they're going to be lost a, several times. I want to make sure that we don't skip parts that help us connect the story together. So okay. that's why I want to know what you know. But when you say late, you know, the stuff that's on the tape, then just say later I learned or something like that, because I, I don't want it to just be disjointed because we both know stuff that you didn't know then. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So I do. It's a complex story. It's just, for example, Rich Jones arrested, arrested in Mazalon. He was brought back to Pocatello. His court date came up. So he uh, comes to court with a, an attorney. And she tells the judge, the federal judge, now we're in federal court, that the Brobergs, Bob and Marianne Broberg, mother and father of Jan, that they want to drop the charges. Well, you know, in federal court, it's U.S., you know, the United States versus Bob Hirchtold, right? So there's no dismissing it because the government indicted Birchtold and a grand jury, they have to show cause why they should drop the charges. And of course, um, since it's the United States government versus Bob Birchtold, the Brobergs can't dismiss the charges and the proceedings go on. Had you any idea that they were going to try to dismiss the charges? No. My office is right across from the court, or was at the time. I said, you, well, I won't tell you what I said. I mean, it really upset me. If you picture dominoes for them in a row, you put them in a side by side by side by side, okay? And you name those dominoes. The first domino would be Birch Told. The second one would be Bob Broberg. Okay. The third one would be Mary Ann Broberg. And the fourth one would be Jan. This is the best way I can explain it because I don't know how else to do it. Now that I've taken all this training I have about pedophiles, I learned that they'll do anything. Birch Told gets a hold of Bob Broberg and he says, Bob, go for a ride with me. Bob Broberg, go for a ride with me, will you please? And um, he says, of course, Bob, yeah, I'll go for a ride with you. And then Birchtold starts to talk about his wife's mad at him. He's not getting any relief sexually from his wife. He wants Bob to relieve him. And this is father on father, right? So okay. Bob, Bob Broberg masturbates him. 
Okay. No. So did they have did they have a relationship? So his friend just not, out of the blue. Not before asked they were him, just they were just friends. So out of the blue, after he has taken his daughter for fifty five days and Absolutely. has returned and has been arrested, they right. go for a ride and and Burkhold asks Broberg to help him release himself sexually, masturbate Correctly. him, and he says, Okay. So I learned about that later. And then, so there you can put an X right through that domino, that second domino. It's gone. Just take it out of the picture. So now we have Birchtold. And I guess you say that because now he's compromised. He doesn't want that. That's exactly out. right. Then compromised. And then he gets Marianne to come to, down to Ogden, where his brother lives, because that's where he went. He was out on bail. And when he gets her down there, wherever they were, I don't know if they were in a motorhome or apartment complex or whatever, he seduces her. So now she's been compromised. Just take an X and draw through that domino. And now I have Birchtold and Jan are the only ones here. There are nobody to be in his way. Just he and Jan together. You follow me with that? Absolutely. It's very scary. All right. It's very scary. But then later on, those people that did that video find out that Bob Broberg had six, I don't know what the word is, six liaisons with each other. Six of them. And Marianne had 19 with him. So... So he is he is seducing the father, the mother, and but the daughter doesn't care because she's going to marry the guy, you know. So anyway, that's that's exactly why they walked into court and said we want to dismiss these charges. And was he blackmailing? No, he wasn't blackmailing him yet. He didn't blackmail him at all. So it's, why? So then, why did they drop the charges if he wasn't? They didn't drop the charges. They tried to. Right, but why did they try to? If Because they knew that the Mormon church was going to be all over them. And sure enough, they were. And they got, I think the word is disenfranchised. They got booted from the church, which is, you know, like a black mark in your life if you can't go to church. And what was that based on? Why did the church do that to them? Because of what they did with Birchtold. Oh, so he did tell people. Right. Well, he didn't tell them. They found out about it. And uh, I don't know how they found out about it. They, Knowing them, they probably told the church themselves. And so they were uh, disenfranchised for, for a period of time. That's all I can say. I don't remember when they got back because I couldn't, I don't, I didn't keep up with them after, after a bit. Those 19 times and six times didn't all happen overnight. It was over a period of time. But then uh, on top of it, we go to court, right? Federal court in Boise. We got one here, but it wasn't tried here. So we go to federal court in Boise. Just about the same time that Jimmy Carter was president, we're changing the United States attorneys. We had a brand new United States attorney. And when we walked into court, the United States attorney took up, stood up and said, 
we want to dismiss these charges. This was just unbelievable. So I'm in the courtroom and federal judge that I've appeared for many times. He says from the bench, hey, Pete, call me Pete. I can't call you to the stand. What's going on here? So I told him, standing at, you know, standing in next to my seat that most people sit in to watch a court proceeding. And eventually, he convinced the United States attorney to try this case, and he got like six months, or 45 days, excuse me. He got six months reduced to 45 days because he'd been in jail for a while. So I'm going, what the hell is going on here? So who were your, let's, let's, uh, let's dig deeper into this a little bit. Okay. So the Brobergs say they want the charges dismissed. That's, the United, in, that's in federal court in Pocatello. Okay. The United States attorney gets that information and decides to agree with them. He went, they, they also want to dismiss it. I, I take it because they don't have the parents Brobergs uh, available to testify. Is that correct? No, they can testify. All I have to do is call them. You know, so, I don't know if they would have. So why does so? What's his reasoning to? The reasoning is he just became the United States Attorney a month before. He's not familiar with the case. It's it's um kind of treated like my boss did. This guy was their friend, my own boss, my ASAC, special assistant special agent in charge. Told me to get out of the case. I didn't. That's another story in itself. So Shirtloff guy, assistant United States attorney, he said, look, Your Honor, we're not prepared for this case, but we know it's a family matter that we want to drop the charges. Judge Blaine Anderson, who was the uh, federal judge, knew about pedophiles and all this kind of stuff. So he held him over and eventually got charged with 45 days. Because I'm sure the mother and the father were very upset that they were going to have to testify. So you do take it to, to court. Who right. testifies? Who presents evidence other than Nobody. Yourself? Nobody. The United States Attorney wants to drop it. There's no witnesses in the courtroom. A couple of agents. That's it. What kind of evidence does he present to the court? None. He wants to drop the charges. It's a family right. matter. Right. But the judge doesn't allow him to do that. and, and He and doesn't allow him to do it. But he um, he lets him out on his own recognizance. So Birch told, eventually through his attorney, got about six months to get his his um, business together. Right? We're not. We don't know about the forty-five days yet. He lets him out as on his OR, and he's got six months to get his affairs together. Okay, so when he gets his affairs together, we're going off on another tangent now. So he opens up a fun center in Jackson Hall, Wyoming, which is three hours from me. And it's, um, you know, like pinball machines and all this other kind of stuff. And Jan begs her mother to go. Begs her and begs her and begs her. Guess what? Her mother took her to the airport and let her fly to Jackson Hole. To be with him for two weeks. Wow. Yes. Well, I was right. And this, and this is. <laughs> yes, it's real. <laughs> yeah, and but this is the same the the same man that she's allowing her preteen or early teenage daughter to go stay with for two weeks 
Right. She's actually had an affair with the same man with at least right. 19 liaisons. Well, and her that, husband has too. I don't know how many times she'd been with that guy when she let Jan go. And I don't know how many times Bob had been with the guy. And I've got to speak nicely of Bob. I love the guy. And he just passed away. He was the only guy that told me the truth. But anyway, yeah, she let him go to let her go to Jackson. And then she's home from Jackson and he's getting ready to go to jail. He's got everything in order. He's ready to go to jail. He's got to serve 45 days, but there's some good behavior in there and time served. And he goes to jail. And I don't know what day it is, Jerry, but it's like, um, let's just call it Tuesday. On Tuesday, he goes to jail. On Tuesday morning, they can't find Jan. She's gone again. So what he'd done is he had, I hear conflicting stories, whether he flew her to Los Angeles or he drove her to Los Angeles. And here comes another twist, okay? She goes to a Catholic school near the Rose Bowl. And the reason she went there is that he, representing himself as a CIA agent, says, I'm... I'm in Lebanon, and my wife just was murdered, and I got to continue my work, so I need to send my daughter someplace where she'll be safe. So the nuns agree to pick her up at the airport, take her to to the Catholic school. I, I don't recall the name. So now we got her missing again, second kidnapping. I have no idea. None. And he's sitting in jail. Of course, I went to interview him. I don't know. You know, I don't have any idea where she went. You know, she and I are done. You know, all these kind of things. So we wait and wait. And now here comes another twist. All of a sudden, her father's forest business, downtown Pocatello, catches fire. It not only burned down, but so did American Land Title and Moggs Prescription Pharmacy. He burned down a whole half a block. So we finally found out who set the fire, and there was two guys in jail with Birch told that were kind of, I don't know if they're on drugs or they're alcoholics or whatever they were, but Birch told offered them $1,000 a week if they would set fire to Bob's business, Bob Roberg's business, Atkin Florist. They not only did they set the no, no block, like I told you, half a block. So now we got a predicament. So state takes over the arson and eventually convicts those two guys, but not virtual. They say it was him, but no proof. So we get the arsonist, and I can't indict him, of course, because I don't know what, what he's doing. So the arson happens, the state takes over, and then virtual gets out of jail. And he goes directly to Salt Lake City to his old motorhome. And his motorhome is parked in a just a parking lot place. And he never comes out. The agents saw him go in, but never come out. So we watch and we watch. And every once in a while, he goes to the grocery store and comes back. Finally, some agents in Salt Lake went in to talk to him. Do you know where Jan is? No, I don't know. I don't have any idea. The inside of the motorhome is like a mausoleum to Jan. Pictures, big pictures, six by four, 
is six feet by four feet. They're all over the place. Time goes on. One night he comes out and he goes to a payphone. Thank goodness we were watching him. And we pick up the number. We found this boarding school, Catholic boarding school in Pasadena. So we went down to get her. Actually, the Pocatello place went down to get her. Because now they wanted to file state charges against him rather than federal charges. Because the federal government dropped the ball. So they go to Pasadena, they get her. Look, she's maybe 14 now. And much as I don't want to admit this, I put her in jail because her dad didn't want her home. You know, I'd get myself fired. They knew that. But I put her in jail for the night in a place all by herself. So the next day I take her home. She goes directly to her bedroom and she doesn't come out. So she has been in the school the entire 45 days. Absolutely. That uh, Burkle was uh, incarcerated. Right. Well, what he had done is he came by her house, all prearranged, there's no doubt in my mind, and went out through the basement window. Uh, this is where I'm not sure if he drove her. I don't. He didn't drive her because he went to jail two days later. Lane from Jan was that he flew her to Los Angeles. He, the nuns, he wasn't with her. The nuns met her, called her by, I can't remember the name, but it's in the tape if somebody wants to watch it. They took her to the school and she stayed there. And she had lots of money, like $5,000 with her. You can see how different directions it goes. I mean, my mind was going like that. So if I would have known, if I would have known, that the Brobergs were horsing around, that the guy was laying by their daughter, and all these other angles that came in on this thing. And if they'd have told me the truth, the FBI could have solved this case as soon as we found him the first time and put him away for kidnapping, child molestation, man act, whatever we could get our hands on. And I get on a plane and I go to Los Angeles and appear before a grand jury and indict him from for impersonation of a, of a CIA agent. Before I could get back from L.A., they dropped the charges. So now he gets away with arson. He gets away with the CIA business. So the state wanted the case. Garth Pincock was a prosecutor. And I don't blame him. He's mad as Dickens um, that this guy wasn't sent away the first time. And I never argued with him. Just do the best you can. So, but... The problem was he decided that he was going to send him to health and welfare, make sure that he was mentally stable. Now, Jerry, you know, I've been talking to Tom Strenz the whole time I was going through this. Tom Strenz was in the behavioral science unit, and he and I became fast friends, kind of. And uh, he would help me through this because I was, I was going ballistic. What went this way? What went that way? Tom said, we, you don't want to let him do that because they go to health and welfare and find out he's stable. He's gone. And that's exactly what happened. They found they left him over there six months, you know, in the Idaho State Penitentiary going through all kinds of tests. He said, there's nothing wrong with him, and they let him out. Was this a case of him pleading not guilty for reason of insanity or something like that? No. No. The state sent him to, the, to health and welfare. And this is just sure. like a pre-trial evaluation? Just an evaluation period of his behavior. 
was he insane? Was he not insane? And they found him not insane at all. So they let him loose. He spent six months in jail, but that was it. So anyway, this is what I heard as I was moved to Salt Lake City. And this was a second six months after he had... Uh, 45 days. After the 45 days. days after uh, we caught, after we found her. And then he got another six months. Six months for Four. evaluation. That's all, just evaluation. Okay, after they learned that he had... Uh, orchestrated her going to this uh, private Catholic Absolutely. school. No, she said, well, Brother B, as he called him, put me here. You know, after he got out of jail, he's come visit me each weekend, and we'd go swimming and go to the zoo and God knows what else. So we arrested him, the state arrested him, not me. I was there. I wanted to go federally, but I couldn't get them convinced to do it. The first I heard of him was that he got, he married the deputy sheriff in Salt Lake City. She had a 10-year-old girl. And my theory is, I don't know if you want my theory, is Jan, without being rude, Jan grew a bump on her chest. He wanted a kid. No breasts, you know. And she married him, and um, she figured out what he was doing and booted him. Then he was arrested for some kind of fraud. I never looked it up. I didn't care, and he spent two years in jail. Then from there, he moved down to southern Utah, the best I could tell, and northern Arizona. And that's where, I think the name of the town was Litchfield, but I'm not sure. Anyway, that's where he moved to this small town. All of a sudden, he became the leader of the Mormon church. Nobody looked to see who he was. And Jan's mom wrote a book by Marianne Broberg, and it's called Stolen Innocence. So I take it that she kind of explains their motivation for allowing this grown man to have so much access. No way. Not in here. You know, it's not in there. I was upset, to say the least, that I spent three years of my life and all I had to do, spend six months and I had him. They had told me the truth. That's the worst part. Denies everything that Jan is implying. He, um, Call his heart medicine, took something else and something else, and he killed himself, and he was dead. Wow. So you kind of insinuated that Jan was not his only victim. Was he ever charged with other molestations? Well, he never got to it because the parents got onto it too quick. So as far as we know, Jan was the only victim, which he went all the way through with sexual assault. I don't believe that in a minute, but that's all I knew. Pedophiles don't stop what they're doing. And one example of that is when he left Jan because she had breasts, he went right to a 10-year-old girl that didn't have breasts. But he found a real naive family, big-time naive. And not that they're bad people, they're nice people, but he just took them for a ride. Well, I know you've had the opportunity to meet with him, and uh, you had said that you thought that the father... Broberg, you know, was a great guy. But I think it's hard for me and, and others that are listening to simply call them naive, no matter how kind Brokaw was to them and their daughter. Once they realized that he was manipulating them, both of them, you know, I take it that the parents knew about their sexual uh, activities with him. You would think at least at that point, it clicks. They know they were never a part of his 
plan other than to use their story to manipulate them into doing what he wanted them to do. And I agree with you, but they never told each other about the sexual encounters for a long time. I call them naive because I think about my own children. Nobody could do that to my kids. I just think that they are, how they not know what was going on? Especially when you're saying that they let a grown man they let first sleep. sleep in the bed with their uh, right. pubescent daughter for days and weeks at a time. You know, I was let them sleep down in the basement with their daughter. It's unbelievable. It's such a strange case because you worked this case for so long and really saw no outcome. It has one of those strange, unsatisfying endings. It does. It's most difficult when people don't tell you the truth. I think that's the bottom line of the whole thing. You take it for granted that parents of a kidnapped little girl would just reach out to you, tell you everything about her. Well, they did. Tell me he's an outgoing, loving little girl, but they forgot something. You know, they forgot about Birch told and his behavior at first, right? Finally got it out of them. Forgot to tell me about their own sexual behavior with Birch told. All these things I forgot, which made me look like a dumbass. Excuse my language. Just so frustrating. Just- I, I can imagine because you're trying to work an investigation. Uh, you know, blindfolded in a sense, because you can't see all that's there because you don't even know it's there. That's right. I thought about the kidnapping. I got to get this girl back. I got to get her back. Her parents are beside themselves. And you know, every time I talk to somebody, including you, the classes I had at Idaho State, I have a difficult time getting it all out that I don't leave out some because Two or three things are going on at the same time. I was going to write a book, Jerry, but I wasn't going to write about the kidnapping. I was going to write it about the courts, but I never did do it. And what were you going to say about the courts? What do I want to say about the courts? Yeah, if you had written this book, what what was it about the courts that you wanted to say? Well, they let a pedophile go free without understanding what the heck went on. You know, like, there's a judge trying to tell a United States attorney you got a problem here. Are you going to do something about it or not? And they didn't. And then the district attorney in Pocatello decided he's going to send him to health and welfare. Why didn't he try him? Why didn't he try him? I mean, they knew he was sane, but I just, um, I said, oh, the hell with it. Go ahead and try him. I knew it was going to happen. But I think the court let Robergs down. They let me down, the, the FBI down. They let, um, they didn't let Burstall down. He was probably the only happy one in the whole mess. When I got done with this case, I spent twice a year at the Bureau learning about sex crimes. I became a profiler, and I taught at the college level after I retired about sexual deviancy and about profiling sexual deviants. So did you work any other child predator cases after the Broberg case? Well, you know, we're close to an Indian reservation, and we had a lot of problems on a reservation because of the Major Crimes Act. Nothing like this. So I never had a kidnapping case like this. <laughs> so it was a great case. Well, I know that this case took place and, and you still live in the Pocatello, Idaho area. And the FBI has a computer center there, don't they? They do. I don't know what's in there. I mean, it's, they're going to have over 600 employees 
by the time this is all over. Like I tell my friends, it's past my pay grade nowadays because I don't know exactly what's going on. It's a humongous site and it's going to have FBI employees, other agencies. It's going to be one fantastic place. At the end of all of my case reviews, I like to give my guests the last word. So what would you like to say? I can just tell you a little bit quickly about my career. I used to be a Parks and Recreation Director in Farmington, New Mexico, and I was recruited by an agent in the Farmington RA. I was in the Bureau four months later. I was um, sent to Sacramento, my first office. They sent me to Yuba City, Marysville. I was there for a year. I went to Los Angeles. I was there six, seven years. I was in a Long Beach resident agency. I'm kind of a resident agency agent. And then one of my children got ill with bronchitis. And the doctor said, get out of this environment. And I was in L.A. And so we moved here. I, I've been very fortunate. And the one thing I could say about my career, if I had to do it over again, I'd have stayed longer. I love my job. And that's the end of the interview. At jerrywilliams.com, you'll find a photo of Pete Welsh. You'll find newspaper articles about the Jan Broberg kidnapping and the new documentary, Abducted in Plain Sight. There's also a photo of the family, a link to the documentary website where you'll find clips from the film. I hope you enjoyed the interview and that you'll share it with your friends, family, and associates. If they're not sure how to listen to a podcast, I have a how to listen to a podcast post on my website. Don't forget to subscribe to FBI Retired Case File Review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or your favorite podcast app. My crime fiction recommendation for you this week is a TV show, the new television comedy drama, Whiskey Cavalier on ABC. Now I have to tell you, almost everything about the show is wrong (laughs) about the FBI. But that doesn't mean the show is not highly entertaining and funny. I really enjoyed it. And as you may recall, the show is loosely based on Eugene Casey, who was assigned to the FBI Paris Legat and has been interviewed twice on this show. Whiskey Cavalier is a funny show. I found myself smiling throughout it. But again, most of it has very little to do with how the FBI really works. But The X-Files wasn't real either. And I like that show too. Since I know you're interested in learning about the FBI, I want to make sure that you know that soon you'll be able to pick up a copy of my first nonfiction book, FBI and Film and Fiction, a manual for armchair detectives coming soon to all stores where books are sold. It's a 60,000 word expanded version of my popular FBI reality checklist of cliches and misconceptions about the FBI in books, TV, and movies. And if you love crime fiction, I hope you'll also consider picking up copies of the crime novels in my FBI Philadelphia Corruption Squad series, 
Pay to Play, and Greedy Givers. This crime fiction series features Special Agent Carrie Wheeler, Temptation, Corruption, and Redemption. The books are available as ebooks and paperbacks at Amazon.com, and Pay to Play is also an audiobook. Thank you for listening to the very end. I hope you come back for another episode of FBI Retired Case File Review with Jerry Williams. Thank you.